Well, good morning. It is so great to see you. Thank you for being here. And if you're a guest, welcome. Uh, We are one church in four locations, and I couldn't be more excited about Easter this year because we are going to have 16 services. Now, that's a lot of opportunity to be inviting people in. And I just really want to encourage you. Our mission at Northridge is to wake the world up to Jesus, and there's no greater opportunity than Easter. And our team has worked so, so diligently to make this year's Easter amazing. But it can be an amazing service that's able to wake people up to Jesus, and if no one's here, what's going to happen? Nothing. And so you're the key to that. And we've come alongside to help you. Uh, you, you saw the, the video about Easter, right, with the organ, and I thought it was very important that they put no functioning organ was hurt uh, in the making of that video. But we, really, tradition really isn't our thing. We, we really are different. Now, that doesn't mean we're against tradition or churches that do things different way because God needs all kinds of different churches that lift up his name. But we found most people in our world really don't speak traditional language. They've never even connected to it. They don't relate to it. And so God's called us to speak in the unique language of our culture his truth. And it's a great opportunity for all of us to reach out to our friends. We've come alongside this year, and we've made these invitation cards. You can find them in your programs. Uh, Maybe they dropped out. You can find them at guest services. And I want you to know, you can get as many of these as you want. As with Doritos, we'll make more, okay? And we've given you three guest cards, invitation cards at the bottom. The, the bottom one is orange, and that's an easy one because it's about inviting family or friends. You know, how easy it is. It, come on, it's easy to invite mom, right? And so you can invite your family and friends. The, the green one is about maybe marketplace friends or coworkers, people in your neighborhood. And then the blue one's kind of a wild card. When you're feeling the mojo, you meet someone you don't know or something, and you want to invite them because Jesus loves them too, you give them the blue card. Maybe, maybe you're meeting someone on Match.com, and that would be uh, something that you could hand out to them. But wherever it is, please be inviting people to Easter. 16 services, two at every one of our regional campuses, 10 here, plenty of opportunities, and I hope that you'll really, really make a difference in a lot of people's lives. Well, we're in a series called The Book of Mark. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's been impacting me in a big way. And this week really comes from uh, how God's been challenging me in a great way from this great book that we're looking at. But before we get into it, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so very much that we have this moment in time to, to literally let go of everything else in our lives and to focus upon your truth that can set us free. And I pray that you would take this message from this book that you inspired so many years ago and that you'd speak to us today in a way that changes our lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first started following Jesus years and years ago, I was really excited about him changing my life. I mean, I I couldn't have been more thrilled. I, I was extremely messed up as an individual and there were some things going on in my life that I I didn't like. I was making choices that hurt others, hurt myself. And so I, I wanted Jesus to fix them. When I knew he could, I wanted him to change them. And so when he started changing me in those areas, it really excited me. But then something started happening that I wasn't all that excited about. He started changing things in my life that I didn't want changed. 
And that was problematic. I mean, I wanted the broken pieces, the obviously messed up pieces to be fixed and transformed, but, but I didn't want him to be reaching into other areas. I kind of liked them the way they were. And then he went even further than that, and he started messing with stuff that I had absolutely no intention of giving to him or of him touching. I didn't want him being part of that part of my life at all. And so when he started messing in those areas of my life, I, I started doing what comes naturally to me. I started pulling away from him. I started responding differently to him than I had in the beginning because I just didn't want him touching those areas. And, of course, there was a problem with that. It didn't work because I started experiencing more pain and more brokenness and bad choices because I was pulling away from him again. And, and thus began the journey of my life. After a while, after a long while, because I'm a slow learner, I started coming to grips with the truth about Jesus. And it's a truth I I really believe that many of us haven't quite come to understand yet. You see, Jesus doesn't mess with just areas of our lives that we want him to mess with. Jesus, when we invite him into our lives, messes with every area of our lives. You can't pick and choose. There, there is no partial involvement when it comes to Jesus. He doesn't say, oh, you just want me to mess with your left ventricle? Okay. I won't mess with the rest of your heart then. You, you just want me to help you with your business and your finances, but you don't want me to mess with how you pursue pleasure and do relationships? Okay. That's good with me. That's not how Jesus works. With Jesus, when you invite him in, he goes all in and all out or there's nothing. You see, we have a choice to make when it comes to Jesus. And this is why, as confusing as it may be, so many people don't embrace Jesus. It's because it involves this choice. We either embrace what he does, or we reject him fully. We either experience the life and fulfillment that only he can give us, or we choose to to scrape along and do the best we can on our own. But here's what we need to understand. There is no middle ground. There is no partial following of Jesus. And here's the truth that that I think just really unfolds itself well from the book of Mark. Following Jesus changes everything. I mean, just mark it down. Following Jesus doesn't just change some things, doesn't just involve some things. Following Jesus changes everything. In fact, following Jesus, and you need to know this on the front end, it turns your world upside down. We, we saw it at the very beginning of this series when we first opened the story of Mark. In chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he told us what he was going to write about. He told us what the, what the story of Jesus was about. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn, and believe the good news. If you weren't here for that talk, you can go and get it online. But I, I want you to know, here's what Mark makes clear in this book. Following Jesus involves embracing a very different kingdom than the one we're used to. It's about moving from the kingdom of this world, the one that we're born into, the one that we're raised in, the one that we're used to, and moving to the kingdom of God. And and you need to know this about these two kingdoms. The kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God, are polar opposites. They're, They're based on totally different priorities. They're based upon totally different values. In fact, the one kingdom will put certain priorities and values at the top of the list, and the other will have those on the bottom. And vice versa is true. 
The other will have certain things at the top and the other at the bottom. And in his book, Mark did a really good job of contrasting the two kingdoms. Since Jesus came to announce a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, Mark contrasted it. And I don't know if you've noticed in this series so far, if you haven't been a part of it, I hope you'll catch up. But if if you have, you know, we've been kind of snail pacing along so far. Have you noticed that? It's like, uh, you know, Mark 1 forever, Mark 2. And this weekend, we're going to take a huge leap because in a good portion of the book, Mark's just contrasting the two kingdoms. And, and I'm going to give you some examples. We'd be here all week if I gave you all the examples, but just look at a couple of examples of the difference between these two kingdoms. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 37. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's, that's really not the way of the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the world doesn't say deny yourself. It says what? Please yourself. Consume for yourself. Take up your cross is talking about sacrifice. Our world doesn't talk about sacrifice. It talks about not having to pay a price and getting all the prosperity you want. It's, it's a crazy world we live in, but Jesus is showing an opposite way. He's not saying follow yourself, do your own thing. He's saying follow me. And then he goes on. For whoever wants to save his life, that's what we're looking for. We, we want to save our life. But he says to save your life in the kingdom of God, you have to lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What, what good is it, he says, for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Here Mark tells us, That the kingdom of this world is based upon our stuff, what we get, what we accomplish, what we achieve, what we keep. But the kingdom of God is based upon, focused entirely on, the soul. Those are two very different things. Then Mark goes forward and says, Jesus made it clear that the kingdom of this world is based on being served. It's what everybody wants. I mean, it's why we want fame, so people will look to us and serve us and lift us up. It's why we want prosperity, so we can control the elements, etc. It's about us being served. But, but the kingdom of God is based on, entirely focused on serving others. Jesus came not to lift himself up, but to give himself. Look at Mark chapter 9, verses 33 and 35. They came to Capernaum. This is Jesus' hometown. And when he was in the house, he asked them this question. What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. I mean, this is a funny story. Out of earshot, they thought, from Jesus, they were arguing about, I'm greater than you. No, I'm greater than you. You know, I mean, it's crazy stuff. And Jesus knew what they were talking about. And so he calls them out. He says, well, what were you guys arguing about on the road? And I love this answer because it's so like me, like us. Uh, they kept quiet. <laughs> they weren't going to tell him. <laughs> but he knew. And so sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, if anyone wants to be great in the kingdom of God, he must be the very last, the servant of all. Now that's a polar opposite to the world that we're living in. Isn't it all about grabbing for ourselves and pursuing our own? And, and, you know, we'll be nice to people as long as they don't get in our way. But when they get in our way, then we'll step on their back. Many of us have experienced that kind of betrayal in our life. But the kingdom of God is based upon not making sure we're first, but helping others to be first, serving others. And then Mark shows us how Jesus contrasted the kingdom of this world with his kingdom by telling us that the kingdom of this world is based upon what's possible for us. It's what it's focused on, what we can do, 
our capacities. And don't we talk a lot about our talent? I mean, we look at people who have unbelievable talent or IQ, and we're a little bit jealous of them. Why don't we get that? Or opportunities and the things they made for themselves. And, and this kingdom is very much focused on what's possible for us. That's why there's so much pride and ego and arrogance. But Jesus says that the kingdom of God is based on what's possible for God. It's a very different kingdom. And we don't really like that kingdom because we like to be in control. We like to be responsible. We like to take credit. We like to lift ourselves up. That's the the kingdom we've been raised in. But he says, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have to realize it's not possible for you. It's only possible for God. It's a whole trust formula involved in this. In fact, look at how he says it in Mark chapter 10, verses 23 through 27. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, man, is it hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were really amazed at those words. They were amazed because in that culture, they believed that if someone was rich, it was, it was the favor of God. I mean, God had given them this wealth, so obviously they were really in tune with God. And Jesus saying, it's hard for the rich to know God to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus said it again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed, when, and they said to each other, well, then, then who in the world can be saved? Who can be a part of God's kingdom if it can't be the rich, it can't be anyone? It's like, it's like a camel going through a needle, and, and there are a lot of people who say, well, there was this needle gate in Jerusalem, and it was tough to get the camel through, but that's a problem because this isn't talking about stuff that's tough. This is talking about stuff that's impossible. So think of a true needle and a camel going through it. It's impossible, and that's what the kingdom of God's like. And Jesus says, who can be saved? Well, with man, this is impossible. No human being, religious or irreligious, can know God, can be a part of the kingdom on their own, but with God, all things are possible. And so the kingdom of God is about not what's possible for us, not what we can do, not what we can manage, not what we can earn, but what only God can do. And then Mark tells us that the kingdom of this world is based on pleasing people. You know, uh, having an audience of many, being accepted by, by the multitudes. But the kingdom of God is based on and focused only on pleasing God. It's focused on the audience of one, I like to say. It's, it's focused on only getting God's applause, God's acceptance, and you do that by helping others. Jesus really shows us that, that life, if you're going to truly live in the kingdom of God, is not going to be about pleasing the many. It's going to be about pleasing God. And sometimes that means you'll please God and no one else. In fact, look at this one passage. We're, we're moving towards Palm Weekend. That's next weekend, the weekend before Easter. And Palm Weekend's about the time when Jesus was coming off the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem and everybody had made the declaration, you're the one, you're the king, you're awesome, you're, you're going to be the Messiah, the deliverer, the great savior. And, and they, were, they were putting their coats on the ground and so he could ride over them on the, on the donkey he was on and, and they were waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and celebrating him as king. Now, in our world, in the kingdom of this world, what you have to do is you have to ride the mojo, you have to ride the momentum when things are going well you have to take advantage of it I mean we see this in the sports world right I mean someone's doing really really great and they've got momentum so what they do with their agent is renegotiate their contract because you only have so much time that you can get the best out of life and the most so you have to ride the momentum and we do it in business and we do it in life this is a big deal but Jesus 
didn't do it that way because he wasn't looking for acceptance of the many. Look at what Jesus did when he was riding high. They were finally declaring him to be king. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. It's, it's not that you can never sell anything in a spiritual environment like a Bible or a, a DVD or something like that. What they were doing is they were robbing people. People would bring their sacrifices and they would declare those sacrifices no good so those people would have to buy from them. And they were literally breaking integrity to make money in the context of their religious environment. And so Jesus was really ticked off and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling these sacrifices, the doves, and and he wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you, and he's speaking to the religious leaders and the Pharisees and all that, you have made it a den of robbers. I bet you they loved that, right? Well, let's see. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to... Yeah, this was a good moment in his life. Talk about killing momentum. Everybody was bowing down, waving Hosanna, and he has to do this. It's obvious that Jesus never read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, he just, he got it all wrong. He was going to get fired. But the reality is, his goal wasn't to win friends. It was to please God and to help people. And there's a big difference here. Now listen, the truth is that if all we're trying to do is get people to like us and accept us, we won't tend to tell them what they need to hear, the truth. We'll tell them what they want to hear. Great, we're trying to win friends and influence people. We're trying to get them to lift us up and and applaud us. And so we're going to tell them what they want to hear. But what they want to hear is very seldom what they need to hear. And when we tell them what they want to hear, we're just helping ourselves, not them. The kingdom of this world is often about telling people what they want to hear because the kingdom of the world is all about us getting ahead, us serving ourselves and pretending to care. But the kingdom of God is always about pleasing God and helping others, which means it's always about telling people what they need to hear, the truth. And often when you tell people what they need to hear, the truth... They turn on you. They reject you. They don't applaud you. And so the only way that we can ever live this way is when we realize that God is the king and God's pleasure is all we need, the kingdom of God. So what Jesus came to give us, as Mark makes clear, the kingdom of God is an entirely different world, an upside right world, I like to call it, instead of an upside-down world like the one we've been born into and been raised in. There's absolutely no similarity at all between these two kingdoms. When I first came to Jesus, I wanted Jesus to fix me so I could be a bigger and better man in the kingdom of this world, but I had it all wrong. He wasn't trying to make me a bigger and better man in the kingdom of this world. He was trying to make me be a faithful child of God in the kingdom of God. And that's an entirely different agenda. And I believe most Christians and most churches and most involved in Christianity are simply wanting Jesus to fix them so they can function better in the kingdom of this world. And as a result, they're missing the entire point of Jesus. They're they're making up a Jesus that never existed and they're singing about him and worshiping him, but they're not experiencing 
the real king. Which brings us back to our truth. Following Jesus changes everything. It, it turns the world upside down. And it's, only, it's the only possible outcome if we're going to follow him. The only possible outcome of following him is that he changes everything. And, and here's the application. I mean, this has been pounding in on me as I've been going through the story of Mark. It's an application for your life, and I hope it can challenge you forward. It may not be what you want to hear, but, it, but it's definitely what you need to hear. If we're not changing, we're not following Jesus. Because when we follow Jesus, he changes yeah, I know, it's not even something you want to say out loud, is it? Because then God will say, you knew it, you said it out loud. Following Jesus changes everything, which means if we're not changing, we're not following Jesus. We might be singing pretty songs about him. We might be talking a good line about him. But we're not following him if we're not changing. It's impossible to genuinely follow him and remain the same. And yet, let's be really brutally honest with each other, many who claim to be following him aren't changing at all. In fact, they claim to be following him, but it appears that they're still living by the exact same priorities and with the exact same values and the exact same goals and the exact same outcomes that they did in the kingdom of this world. And In fact, here's, here's what I see, and sometimes I see it in me, to be honest. Our words are different, but our lives are no different. And so some people look at Christians and they go, the only thing that's different about them is their language, not their life. So why would I follow a Jesus who only has enough power to change what we say and not who we are? It doesn't even make sense. What we have to realize that is that Jesus changes everything and, and many of us who claim to be following him aren't changing at all and that should challenge us. And I... I ask the question because it, it happens in me. I have to tell you, I wish every single day in my relationship with Jesus I was changing. I wish that I had been changing my entire journey and I can't report that. And I ask, why, why is that? I mean, what's going on? And, and Mark helps lead us to the answer. I tell you, when this started unfolding for me, it, it just really started impacting me. And it all started in Mark chapter 14, to be honest, because I know that Mark's about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world and the difference and all that. But, but in Mark chapter 14, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's where he's praying just before he's betrayed by Judas and hauled off to Pilate and then ultimately nailed to a cross. And we'll be looking a lot at that next week. But, but in Mark 14, he's in the garden praying. But what's interesting about Mark 14 is that Mark unfolds the story in a way that we get to see all the different kinds of people that were around Jesus in this moment of his life, this moment, this climactic moment of history when he's redeeming the world. Mark shows us all the different people around Jesus and, and he shows us their choices, the choices they made. And what I want you to know is that the same kind of people around Jesus today, it's us, and we're making the same kind of choices these people made then. And and I'm going to tell you, the choices that we make make a huge difference in our world. And what I've been doing is I've been trying to find myself in these people and these choices. And I want to challenge you to find yourself because 
the choices you're making right now about Jesus are what's determining whether you're experiencing his kingdom or the kingdom of this world, what he came to give you, life and fullness or not. Just like it did in these people's lives. And when I open Mark chapter 14 and see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, I realize that we can be people who stand against him. Because in this moment, in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's where most people were. They were, they were making the choice to stand against him, the Savior of the world. Look at Mark chapter 14, verses 43 through 46. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of his closest friends, one of the twelve, appeared. And with Judas was a crowd This was a strange crowd. They were armed with swords and clubs and they were sent from the religious leaders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders of the people of Israel. Now the betrayer, Judas, now we know what he's doing. He's coming in betrayal of his friend, had arranged a signal with them and he said, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi... And kissed him. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Have you ever heard the term kiss of death? It's where it comes from. This is the kiss of death. And isn't it sad that, that people with Jesus, Judas with Jesus, would kiss him to his death when what Jesus came to do was give us the kiss to life. And that's the difference between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God because in the kingdom of this world... Oh, people kiss us all right. They kiss us in all kinds of places, if you know what I mean. Thank you very much. I thought that was funny, too. I probably will never say that again from the platform of a church, but I thought it was good in this moment. But it's the kiss of death. But in the kingdom of God, it's the kiss of life. And you know what? Many of us are experiencing this kiss of death. Why? Because we're living in the kingdom of this world with people in the kingdom of this world and they might be using Jesus' name but they're not living in his kingdom and it's a problem. That's what was going on with Judas. He was standing against Jesus and I, I just need you to know you might be an outsider to, to the life of Jesus or an insider. You just need to be aware that this is where the majority of the world lives. Whether they're religious or irreligious they live standing against Jesus because they're embracing the kingdom of this world. This is where the crowd was, the religious leaders, even Judas. They're, they're comfortable, you see, in the kingdom of the world. They embrace its priorities and values. And, and because Jesus and his truth is so significantly challenging to, to their ideals and their values and their kingdom, they're going to stand against anyone who genuinely and fully embraces Jesus and his priorities and his values. And it doesn't take a high level of observation to see this going on in our world today, does it? Come on. Christians are being attacked here and around the world because the values of Jesus are offensive to people who embrace the kingdom of this world. It's just the way it is. In the garden, in Mark chapter 14, Mark says there's another kind of person. There are, there are people making another kind of choice, and it's those people who fight for Jesus, and that sounds really good on the front end, right? They fight for Jesus, but... They don't follow him. And there are people, and I'm going to tell you, I believe churches are filled with them, and quite frankly, sometimes it's me. 
we fight for him without following him. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 47. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. So Judas comes with all these guys armed with swords and clubs, and they're coming to take Jesus. And one of Jesus' followers takes out a sword and poof, you know, this is when it becomes movie-worthy, right? I mean, this is when it becomes awesome. John tells us in the writing of his story, the Gospel of John, that, that this guy was Peter. <laughs> I love this because Mark is really the eyewitness account of Peter, you know? We've kind of unfolded that in the beginning of the story, and I think it's kind of interesting that Peter says, you know, well, there was this guy who had a sword. <laughs> John says, yeah, it was you, Peter. You know, I kind of love how the Bible unfolds, right? But in this moment, when Peter took out the sword, Peter wasn't following or submitting to any of Jesus' teaching. He wasn't submitting to the kingdom of God. He was living in the kingdom of the world because, you see, Jesus had clearly said, and we're going to really look at this next week, time and time again, that that he had to be betrayed and he had to suffer and he had to die and then he'd be raised again because he came to redeem the world. But Peter, in this moment when he took out the sword, he's going, yeah, it's not going to happen that way, God. Yeah, I'm not going to let that happen. No, I'm taking this into my hands, which means I'm going to be king for a moment. You're going to be follower. I'm going to be Lord. You're going to be that, not so Lord. And you need to know, he, he cared about Jesus. He cared deeply for Jesus, Peter did. He was sincere he just didn't buy into what Jesus was selling. Jesus was selling the kingdom of God. And, and Peter wasn't buying. It was just too odd because he was kind of a product of the kingdom of the world. And this is where we are as well. And so Jesus was going to fight. Peter was going to fight for Jesus, but he wasn't following him. He was living in the kingdom of the world. He, he wasn't buying into the fact that the soul is more important than stuff. No. Keeping you here is the most important thing, Peter was saying. And he wasn't buying into the idea that, that serving others was more important than being served. And so he was going to protect his own interest because Jesus was in Peter's own interest in this moment. And, and he wasn't going to buy into the idea that that was only possible for God because he thought he could control this circumstance and he could keep Jesus from dying. He was living in the kingdom of this world and he could control it. And he wasn't, he wasn't just out to please God. He was going to please himself. He was going to become the greatest. Isn't what that what they were arguing about? And he was going to save the day. And he wasn't buying into the idea that eternity was more important than the moment. He wasn't buying into anything to do with what Jesus came to give us, the kingdom of God. He was going to fight for Jesus while he didn't follow Jesus. And I just need you to know that this is a problem that many of us have. I mean, we're fighting for Jesus, but we're not following him, and it's dangerous. And you want some examples? There are people, many people, who are fighting for Jesus, quote-unquote, politically, but they're not following Jesus because they're hating, they're condemning, they're judging, they're betraying in the name of politics for Jesus. But it's not for Jesus at all. And we do it in many areas of our lives. We fight for him, but we don't follow him. And it's terrible because it causes us to miss the whole thing. Jesus one time looked down, and you can see it on your own in the story of Matthew in chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus looks at them and goes, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually 
do the will of my Father who, who live within the kingdom of God, who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, look at all we did. We prophesied in your name. In your name we drove out demons and performed many miracles. I mean, come on, we fought for you. And Jesus tells them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Just because you're fighting for Jesus doesn't mean you're following him. And let me tell you something. Fighting for Jesus means nothing if you're not following him. In fact, fighting for Jesus destroys the kingdom of God if you're not following Jesus and living in the kingdom of God. This is a big deal. And it's why Christianity and so many of us churches and Christians are so messed up. But when we follow Jesus, he changes everything. And isn't it interesting? Many of us claim to be following Jesus and nothing's changing except our language. And then we find in Mark chapter, by the way, having fun yet? I bet you when you woke up, you said, that's exactly what I want to hear right there. Yeah, I bet. But in Mark 14, as we open up and unfold the story further, we find that, that there is another group of people making another kind of choice in, in this place. They're running away from Jesus. They're running away. They're, they're not standing against him. They're not fighting for him without following him. They're running away from him. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 50. Everyone who was close to Jesus, and I want you to know, this represents all of us. I, there's a reason every single one ran away from Jesus in this moment. It's because God wants us to know, it doesn't matter how egotistical we are, arrogant are, or how much we think we're different than other people, we have this same human malady. Mark chapter 14, verse 50, 50, everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone deserted him and fled. Now, it's really important to get this. Because these are the people who had followed him. These are the people who had followed him for quite a while. When others rejected him, they kept following. They had given up a lot of who they used to be. They had given up a lot of what they used to do. They had walked away from their fishing boats and their fishing nets or their other careers. And they had, they had begun adjusting their lives to this very new and very hard teaching. But, but when everything finally hit the fan, when it looked like he was going to lose and his enemies were going to win, when it looked like it had now become an issue of their life and death and that following him was going to have very grave consequences at this moment, though they had followed well, they ran. And they did what people do in the kingdom of this world. They protected themselves. Boy, that's going on, isn't it? Here's the reality. This is common today. Many begin following Jesus, many of us, and many begin experiencing some really positive things in their lives. You know, they experience his forgiveness for the very first time. They're, they're not controlled by or defined by or weighted down by guilt and shame. And I know what that's like because I was so defined by guilt and shame. And when Jesus forgave me, I for the first time realized failure didn't have to be my destiny. It didn't have to define me. It didn't have to be final. It just freed me. And man, I was so excited that he was changing these areas of my life. And then they start seeing themselves as valuable instead of meaningless and worthless, as so many declare. And they begin moving beyond all their insecurities that they battle and all their brokenness that they battle for so long. And they like it, but then something starts changing they start experiencing heat. They start experiencing persecution. They start experiencing rejection for the very faith that they, they have been turning to. And it changes things because 
You need to know, when you follow Jesus, you're going to experience difficulties and persecution and rejection because most of our world doesn't just reject Jesus and his truth. Most of our world hates Jesus and his truth. Oh, not the made-up Jesus of, of sweet fairy tale land where, you know, he doesn't stand on a truth or stand on values or stand for anything. Everything goes and everything's okay. But, I mean, the real Jesus, they hate him. He's contrary to all that they value and all that they love and all that they're pursuing and all the pleasures they want in the kingdom of this world. And so when, when Jesus started standing for his kingdom, they killed him. And when anyone starts following Jesus profoundly, it starts affecting their lives. Did you know following Jesus can affect your family relationships and even family can start turning against you and... You know, going to battle with you. Did you know that following Jesus can, can change your friendships? And Did you know following Jesus, when you really follow Jesus, can change how you're viewed at work? You used to be the guy that could make the sale because you didn't mind bending the truth, but now you're the gal who won't bend the truth and you aren't going to make the sale and it changes your view. Did you know following Jesus can change how successful you are vocationally, how prosperous you are economically? Did you know following Jesus can really change your world in difficult ways if you're living for the kingdom of the world? And do you know what the natural thing to do is when that starts happening? The natural thing is to run. And when this happens to some people, and I've been a pastor for three decades, I'm going to tell you, I've watched it happen time and time again. They start following Jesus, and they love him, and he's changing them, but then everything starts going wrong, and relationships starts changing, and work starts changing because of the Jesus thing. And so some give up following Jesus entirely, and they just say it doesn't work. And what they mean is, he's not helping me to be more successful in the kingdom of the world. I'm going to give up on him. But most don't totally give up on him. They, they just look for a place where they can remain comfortable, still fit into and be accepted in the kingdom of this world, still be accepted and appreciated and applauded at work, but still enjoy being identified as a Christian, as a Christ follower. Because, you know, they, they want to sing the songs and they want to enjoy the community and they want to do some good things to help the world and make themselves feel better. That's what the disciples were doing. They were hanging out with Jesus in the garden having a little worship experience, till the heat went up and they ran. And they ran for the same reason we run. We're just not willing to go all the way to stand fully on his truth, even when it means being rejected by the world, even when it means being on the losing end in the kingdom of this world. And so they ran, and so do we. I, I can tell you I've run a ton of times. But let me tell you from experience... Running away from Jesus never leads to positive outcomes. It didn't for those in Jesus' day, and it doesn't for us. And then in Mark 14, as Mark unfolds the story, we find that there are people making another choice. There are people who make the choice to sit at a safe and comfortable distance from Jesus, to, to sit at a safe and comfortable distance from Jesus. Look at Mark 14:54. Peter followed him at a distance. Right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. And I, I told you earlier that I've been trying to figure out what choice is probably more characteristic of my life than any other. And I'm going to tell you this, this is probably it. Because I love Jesus, I really do, like Peter did. And I, 
I love what he can do in my life, and I, I love everything he's done in my life, but quite frankly, sometimes following too close is too difficult. And so it's easy to sit at a safe and comfortable distance and still enjoy the eminence of his presence, right? This simply pictures the place where those who run end up because Peter ran and then he sat at a comfortable and safe distance and that's what I do. I don't run all the way away. I just run to a safe distance away. Can you relate to this at all? Thank you for all those yeses. But here's what we learn from Peter. When we're sitting at a safe distance from Jesus, we're living for ourselves, not for him. When we're sitting at a safe distance from Jesus, it's the place where we're going to deny him. We say we love him. We say we're following him. We say we believe him. We're singing the songs. We say we're living for him, but as soon as someone challenges us as being one of those fanatical Christ followers who stands on those fanatical truths that all of us know aren't real, that God didn't mean, when we're accused of being the fanatic, that's when we deny him. That's what Peter did. Hey, aren't you one of those Jesus followers? No, no, not me. Are you kidding? Not me. No, uh-uh, not, uh, not me. And we do the same thing today. The problem is that, that it results in misery and despair. Do you realize the greatest failure of Peter's life came when he was sitting at a safe and comfortable distance from Jesus? And he was haunted by this the rest of his life, the brokenness and the grief of having denied Jesus in the moment he needed Peter most. And to be honest, Peter couldn't live with himself in that condition. Which leads to our last choice. And I, I, what I love about the Bible is that there's a lot of bad news in the Bible because you know what? Most of us are you know, bad news. Let's just be honest. Messed up. But boy, the Bible always gets to the good news. Always. Peter had blown it. Messed up. But Mark 14 tells us that along with all the bad choices we can make, even when we've made all the bad choices, we can still make a good choice and we can fall on our knees and embrace Jesus. We can repent and believe. Look at Mark 14, 72. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. And if you follow the story of Peter... You see him finally breaking and falling on his knees and wrapping his faith around Jesus and repenting and believing. And because of that, he became a man that God used to change the world. This failure became a great man in the kingdom of God because he finally fell at Jesus' feet and trusted him. And the same can happen to us who have run and stood against him and made all these bad choices. The great picture for me is found with the women at the resurrection. Look at Matthew 28, verse 9. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. When someone's standing, how do you clasp their feet? You fall to your knees and worship him. And you need to know this is what Peter did, and it's the difference between Judas and Peter. Did you know that both Judas and Peter betrayed Jesus big time? Denied him, betrayed him, disappointed him. Both of them. And yet it's interesting. No one names their kids Judas, but people still name their kid Peter. What kind of dysfunction is that about? It's not dysfunction at all. It's because Judas never fell to Jesus' feet repenting and believing. 
Because Judas never gave up the kingdom of this world. He's where so many of us are. He lived according to the principles of the kingdom of this world. He never humbled himself at Jesus' feet. And it destroyed him. It allowed his failure to be final and he couldn't live with himself. He killed himself. But Peter is a different story. He experienced just as much brokenness and just as much grief. But instead of letting his failure be final and destroy him, he fell on his knees at Jesus' feet. He repented and he believed And he chose the kingdom of God. And do you know what the result was? He was forever changed. Because, and listen, this whole talk has one thing. He was forever changed because when we genuinely follow Jesus, he changes everything. When we genuinely follow him, not when we talk about it, not when we sing about it, not when we say we're doing it, when we genuinely follow him. He turns our world right side up. We go from being sinners to saved, from failures to conquerors, from losing our souls to literally knowing God as our Father. From pleasing ourselves and pleasing others to actually pleasing God the Father. And we go from being empty to fulfilled. When we follow him, because he changes everything. I I want you to know this weekend that it's true. We have choices. God's given us choices. But only one choice makes sense. We need to fall to our knees and we need to embrace him because like Judas and like Peter, we too have all betrayed him. We have all failed him. We have all sinned. We're all guilty. We all have much to be ashamed about. We've all made the bad choices. But only when we fall at Jesus' feet do we experience what Peter experienced? Life after our failure. And I just want to encourage you to fall on your knees and embrace him. And I just have one question for you. Have you? Before I finish this talk and give you the last thought, would you bow with me in a word of prayer? And as we bow, I want to encourage you who might be here and you might have never fallen at his feet and repented and believed and I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to pray with me all you have to do is take the words of my prayer and make them your own in your heart just say God the kingdom of the world is killing me and I I want so desperately to live in the kingdom of God to be your child but I know I don't deserve it I I've sinned against you I'm filled with shame and guilt and There's nothing I can do. It's impossible for me to change that. But Jesus, in your kingdom, it's what's possible for God that counts. And you died on the cross to make it possible for me to be forgiven. And you rose again. You did the impossible so that it'd be possible for me to have new life. And so I'm confessing my sin and by faith I'm claiming your forgiveness and new life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, I just really want to encourage you uh, big time. We've put together information about next steps you can take in your relationship with God, but to get them to you, we have to know you prayed with me, and we try and make it as easy as we can. If you're in one of our services, Plymouth or one of our other regional campuses, we give you this program. It's the same program where your Easter invitation card is in, and all you have to do is rip out the connection card and fill it out, and on the bottom, check that circle that says that you prayed with me today, and 
As you leave any of our auditoriums, there are boxes at the exits. Just throw it in there and we'll do the rest. We'll send you this information. And if you're watching online, just hit the what next button and we'll do the same for you. For the rest of us, for every single one of us who's here, you need to know that the choices that I'm talking about aren't one-time choices. You see, there have been times that I've chosen to stand against him. There have been times I've chosen to run from him. There have been times I've chosen to stay at a safe distance from him. But there have also been times when I've chosen to fall on my knees and wrap my arms around him. And it's only in those times that I experience the kingdom of God and the beauty of what he brings to us. And I want to encourage you, because many of you have made the decision to fall at his knees in the past, but lately you've been sitting at a safe distance or running away, maybe even standing against him. And I'm just encouraging you, make the choice again to fall at his knees because it's there that you'll experience what you long for, the God who loves you and a life of fullness. It's there we, like Peter, can experience new life. But the only way to get there is by making the choice to say, none but Jesus, none but Jesus, none but Jesus, because Jesus is the center, the king of the kingdom of God. So let's end by worshiping with that choice, none but Jesus.